Amen. Would you stand with me so we can read God's word? I don't want to add much to what John said uh, because, you know, I got a whole sermon to get through. So if I cry at the beginning, that's not, it's not good. Though I will add one thing, uh, that his poetry name was Blacksmith. If you'll turn, <coughs> if you'll turn to Job chapter 1, I believe it was with two C's, Job chapter 1. We'll read verses 20 through 22. Um, when me and John talked about me preaching this uh, last sermon, um, the Lord had been, yeah, I'd been going through Job, and, and 121, it really stuck out to me. So um, I just want to share with you what the Lord has encouraged me with Job 1, 20 to 22. This is God's word. Then Job stood up tore his robe and shaved his head. He fell to the ground and worshiped, saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. That's God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. You're so good to give us your word, God. Father, and it is a, it's a testament to your strength, Lord, that you use weak people uh, to preach strong words. So, Father, we pray you do that now. I pray you build up your people. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I may have told y'all this before, but when I was in high school, I really, really strongly disliked school. Uh, it was a trial in my life, uh, and my least favorite part about school, I didn't mind, you know, being at school that much because I freestyled with my friends at lunch uh, and cracked jokes, um, but what I really hated the most was studying, you know, the most important part of school. Uh, studying was a part that it was really tough for me. I didn't like opening the most dusty textbooks and just reading stuff written in the driest English possible uh, about things that are supposed to matter a lot. Uh, but, you know, my mom, uh, being the good mom she was, she would guilt me into studying as she should have. And sometimes I would study. Um, and you know that feeling when you have an exam and you're prepared for the exam? You feel good. Right? You, you walk in, you know, your posture's straight, you're cracking your neck, you're cracking jokes on the way in, you feel good. But when you're not prepared, whole different story, you got a different body language, uh, looking down at the floor, you think about what your parents are going to do when your report card gets home, so you're thinking, let me have fun now before the report card gets in. There's all this, there's, there's a very different kind of uh, posture when you're prepared for it and when you're not. But one of the things that happened to me was I was so bad at math that it didn't matter if I studied or not. So it didn't matter how many exercises I did, didn't matter how good my graphing calculator was, didn't matter how many problems I did, didn't matter how many times I copied the answer out of the back of the textbook, I would still be caught off guard when I got to the test uh, because I just am missing the part of my brain that can calculate things. If you want to give me ideas and 
music, I do fine. If you want to give me like directions or addition and subtraction, very bad. Um, and so no matter what, I would always feel caught off guard when I got to that exam. Uh, I, was, I had prepared, but I still wasn't ready. And trials are kind of like that. Trials are kind of like that. I don't know if you've ever noticed, uh, but there's no amount of truth that makes tragedy easy to swallow. Right? There's no amount of preparation for trials. You know, no matter how much you know, you could have read Psalm 23 that morning. When tragedy hits, it still hurts. Uh, I'm not saying that it doesn't help to know the truth. I'm just saying it doesn't, knowing the truth, knowing true things, trying to prepare yourself, doesn't vaccinate us from the pain of it. There's no knowledge that keeps pain away. Truth cannot shield you from tragedy. It's going to come your way no matter what. And we see this with Job. Uh, the man at the center of this book. In the very first verse of the book, we already hear about Job's amazing reputation. It says he was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. This was a man of God who knew the truth about God, enough of that truth to fear him and to serve him and obey him, and yet tragedy still came his way, and it was still gut-wrenching. Truth doesn't shield you from tragedy. And his way gets interesting, though. Because it's not only that suffering will still come your way in spite of what we know, but when suffering comes our way, a lot of times it makes us forget what we know. Have you ever noticed that? Right? When trials really start to press in on you, you start to question stuff you never had questioned before. And this is exactly what Satan wanted to do with Job. Right? I'm going to just read you this, which is one of the strangest exchanges in Scripture when Satan just... And it says it in the text like it's regular. And Satan presented himself before the Lord. Uh, it's like, how often does this happen? Uh, Job chapter, I'm, I'm just going to read verses 8 to 11 real quick. It says, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. Satan answered the Lord, uh, does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household and everything he owns? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns and he will surely curse you to your face. Satan is saying, yeah, Job fears you because you keep giving him stuff. So look, let, let me have my way with Job and, and we'll see Job curse you to your face. Tragedy has a way of making us forget the truth that we knew before we got into it. And so because of that, one of the dangers of the tragedies that will surely come our way is one of the ways we'll be tempted to respond is exactly that, to curse God. We'll wonder what God is up to. We'll wonder if God really loves us. We'll wonder, is God really as just as he said he was? You know, it feels like the world is collapsing. Is God really sovereign? We'll accuse God of all kinds of evil in our hearts. Isn't that true? You know, it is comforting to see someone like Job in the scripture who understands that. And part of it, because no matter what your life is looking like, when you read Job, you feel like you got it good. Because, it, I mean, listen, uh, sometimes we'll be like, yeah, I know they say they do, but do they really understand? Let me just give you a, a quick rundown of what was happening with Job. Job is, uh, uh, his me a messenger comes to Job with a message. Verse 14, they said, Job... You got some valuable property that was stolen, and your servants were killed. While that messenger is still speaking, another messenger comes up, says, Hey, your sheep and your servants were burned up by fire from the heavens. 
while he's talking, another messenger shows up, says your camels are stolen and your servants were killed. And then finally, in verse 18, another messenger comes up while that other one is talking and said, your house collapsed and all of your children are dead. Now, this is wave after wave after wave of tragedy one after another, not even enough time to process one before you hear about the next one. If anybody would curse God, you would think it could be this man. And yet in verse 22, it says, throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. How? Right, those of us who have much lesser trials and we wonder how, if anybody's going to curse God, it's him. How did he do that. Let me tell you how we don't do it. We don't do it by pretending nothing is happening or pretending stuff ain't hard. Christians are real good at this. We not, might not be that good at making movies, but we are really good <laughs> at pretending nothing is wrong. Edit that out of the podcast. We are really good about pretending nothing's wrong. When someone will ask us, how are you doing? We love to just throw trite Christian-sounding phrases on stuff. But that's not what Job does. Job grieves in a real way. I mean, it says he fell to the ground and he tore his robe and he shaved his head. These are very real expressions of grief in their culture. Job didn't pretend like nothing was going on. He grieves honestly, but he also does it faithfully. How can we, when tragedy comes our way, grieve both honestly and faithfully? I think if we listen to what Job says in those verses, we'll learn a little bit about that. And I'm, and I'm still going to say truth doesn't shield us from tragedy, but it can help us to endure it. Right? The truth might keep you from losing your mind or from cursing your God. So, so here's my suggestion, uh, that the secret to faithful suffering is knowing your place. The secret to faithful suffering is knowing your place. That's the best preparation for you. And so that, we're going to talk about that in two parts in this text. Uh, number one, remember who you are. And number two, remember who God is. So we'll start with that first one. Remember who you are. Um, have you ever been in a situation where you were kind of feeling yourself and someone had to put you in your place? Maybe like when you had your friends over and you were showing off and you, you thought you were somebody special and you know, your mom maybe hit you with one of the classics, brought you in this world, I'll take you out. Something to put you in your place. Like, don't forget who you are. Or maybe some of these, you know, a lot of these teen movies that have the same plot where there's a nerdy kid, unpopular, and then they get in with the popular kids and they abandon all their friends and they forgot who they were and mess up that relationship. And then by the end of the movie, something happens. They're like, these popular kids, they really my friend. And they get kind of put back in their place, and then they go back to their other friends, and it ties up really nicely. It makes you feel nice inside. But, but the reason they were acting crazy is because they forgot who they were. When we forget who we actually are, it changes the way that we live our lives. It changes the way we interact with people. There's a different kind of sense of superiority. Well, um, that, that's the truth from those movies. And right away, when Joe talks about when he responds to his suffering, he remembers his place. Here's what Job could have said. He could have said, God, after all I've done, after the way that I feared you, after the way that I've obeyed you, after how righteous I was, this is how you repay me? That's what a lot of us might have said, but this is what he actually does say in verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. 
Now, that might sound to us like Job is floating off in the clouds, like he sounds crazy. He sounded crazy to his wife. She rebuked him, told him to curse God like Satan wanted him to in the first place. And we might do the same thing. We might say, Job, your kids just died. Why are you out here reciting philosophy and poetry? But Job, you know, it says right before that he worshiped, fell on the ground and worshiped, saying this. So this is his worship. And as he does that, he's acknowledging truth, the same truth that Paul points out when he says this in 1 Timothy 6, 7. He says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. That's what Job means when he says naked I came into the world. We came into the world literally naked, of course, but in every other sense, too. We didn't have any stuff. We hadn't earned any money. We didn't have any food. We didn't have any clothes. We didn't have any education. We didn't have a spouse and children. We didn't have any long record of good health. We didn't have a reputation. We didn't have business networks. We didn't have friends. We didn't have coworkers. We had nothing. Have you ever thought about how helpless you were when you were born? I was reminded of this because my sister just had a beautiful baby girl named Vivian. Um, And, you know, when I'm going over there to visit them, I'm reminded just how helpless babies are. I mean, they cannot do anything. Right? It's like, no, I, you know, just go to the restroom right there. I'll clean it up. And yeah, they can't even hold their heads up. You know, it's bobblehead if you don't help them out. Right? They, even the most basic, they cannot, there's no way for them to eat by themselves. They're not going to call somebody to bring them some food. They can't call Uber Eats. They can't do nothing. They, they can't even fall asleep by themselves. You got to rock them to sleep. There is a helplessness that's there. Now, God in his grace has provided, as he did for all of us, care so that we can make it through those stages, somebody to care for us. But we are utterly helpless when we're born. This is part of what Job is getting at. I came into, I didn't have nothing. Naked I came into the world. And throughout our lives, we forget this a little bit, that we were so helpless. We get a little education. We get a little money. We get some friends. Or maybe we have a family. Or maybe we want some friends, money, and education. And we start to kind of forget who we are. And we start to define ourselves by that stuff. Uh, but here's the thing that Job gets at. All of us will be humbled eventually. All of us will end up being back at that point where we realize we have nothing. There's something that will humble every single one of us. We'll be taken back to that nakedness. And the thing that is the great equalizer is death. When you die, once again, you have nothing. Everything you amassed during your whole life, you got to leave that behind. You can't go into eternity with your pockets full. That's not a thing you get to do. Death is like a robber who takes all your stuff as you go on your way. So if if you've convinced yourself you're more than what you came into the world as, death is a good reminder to us. Job is saying, I came into this world naked and poor, and death will put me right back in that same place. So you may say, well, what does that have to do with Job's situation? And what does that have to do with me and my suffering? Here's what that has to do with that. It changes how we process loss. Right, when we remember we came here with nothing, right, then losing one thing is put back into perspective. It kills that entitlement in our hearts. It reminds us where we came from. Right, to remember, I came here with nothing in the first place. Right, if I came into your house and when I got there, um, you know, you handed me something that was yours and then I leave it behind and I leave, I'm not, you know, I don't feel strange that I left it behind. That's how I got here. I came with nothing, and I'm leaving with nothing. It, it, also, it, help, it helps us to hold everything with an open hand. 
helps us to feel less entitled, like we're old things, like everything we have, this is a part of who I am. If we remember that we came into this world with nothing, that when we lose stuff, we won't feel like we've lost our very self. The stuff we begin to define ourselves by, when that stuff gets taken out of our lives, we feel like we've lost who we are. Job is saying, I came into this world naked. I didn't have anything. So, of course, he hasn't lost his very self, and he's lost far more than most of us have. Those are not the most valuable things about us. Some of us wonder, if we were to lose our job, if we were to lose our status, or even if, God forbid, something happened and we were to lose some of our family, we wonder, would we still be worthy? You know, some of us fear unemployment because we wonder, would we still be significant or valuable or worthy? Is there still anything worthy about us? But Job is saying, well, yeah, naked I came into this world and naked I will leave this world. Your value has nothing to do with the stuff you've amassed since you got here. Your value is in the thing that was there while you were naked. You're made in the image of God. There's nothing that you lose that takes away any value or worth because it's not based on anything you've been given outside of who God created you as. Made in his image. Job is saying, I came that way and I'm leaving the same way. And here's the other thing. When we remember who we are, that we came into this world naked and we're leaving the same way, we cannot accuse God of being unjust because we never had anything in the first place. If something is taken from us, we're just going back to where we were from the beginning. One old commentator said it like this, he is but where he was at first. Um, 1 Corinthians 4 says it like this. Uh, Paul, he's talking about spiritual gifts, but the, the principle applies. He says, to these Corinthians, what makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? If, in fact, you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? Why are you boasting when the thing you're boasting about is something that somebody just gave you, right? Um, so this, this dose of humility is good for us. And just a quick word to parents. This is one reason we shouldn't spoil our kids. And here's why. We, we give them this impression that this is how the world works. Only giving happens. You're just receiving lots of stuff all the time. And what we do is we train them improperly, and then they get into the world, and they're ill-prepared for how the world actually works and how God actually works, that there's things you're given and there's things that are taken. We don't want to prepare our kids for a world that doesn't exist. This is the world that we live in, and this is the God in the heavens. We don't um, we, we don't want to have that entitlement posture because you cannot have a posture of entitlement and suffer faithfully at the same time. If you have that posture of entitlement, anytime you suffer, you will feel wrong. Like, how dare God take that from me? How dare anybody take that from me? We need that humility. And we don't like that feeling of, of nakedness. We don't like that feeling of not being in control of stuff. It's unnerving to be completely at the mercy of somebody else. It's almost like being in a car with an Uber driver that can't drive good, or just any taxi in New York. You just feel like, I'm, I might die soon. Uh, just type in your will in Evernote just to make sure. Because you feel like there's nothing I can do. I'm at the mercy of who. And that's, that's how life can feel sometimes. Like I can't be in control of everything that happens. But one of the things that does is it teaches us one of the most valuable lessons we'll ever learn. That you are not God. One of the most valuable lessons you'll ever learn. Sounds, sounds simple. You are not God. You are not the sovereign Lord. You are not all wise. 
You don't know every angle of the situation. You don't always know what's best. You don't finally own anything. No one owes you anything. You don't deserve all glory, power, and authority. God does. And that can feel unnerving. That can feel unsafe. And it's incomplete if the only thing you understand is that you're not God. But that brings me to the second part of us knowing our place. Number two, remember who God is. You need to remember who you are. Number two, you need to remember who God is. You're not God. You're not in control. But here's the rest of 121. He says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is part of knowing we're not God is knowing who God is. Knowing we're not in control doesn't really help us that much if we don't know who is in control. Right? That's not comforting. That's just discouraging. To only know I'm not in control. And this would be one of my questions for any of my friends here today who don't know Jesus, so who don't believe in God. If, if you understand that you're not in control of everything happening in your life, and I hope you do understand that, then who is? And what do you do with suffering? What can we do with suffering apart from a God who's in charge? And I want to ask you to consider thinking about the goodness of the God that we're talking about in this text. Job knows that even though he was a rich man, he had all of this stuff that it didn't ultimately come from him, right? It reminds me of what uh, James, the brother Jesus, says. He says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So Job doesn't have an entitled, how dare you take these things from me, God? He understands it was a gift. And that changes everything. If everything I have is a gift, if the Lord gave it to me in the first place, who am I to call him unjust for taking it back? Right? If the Lord just gave this free gift to me, how can God steal something that was his the whole time? If I loan you a book, it's not stealing when I take it back. It was mine. And I don't normally loan people books because they lose them and pretend they never borrowed them. But I couldn't, you couldn't call it stealing if I took it back. It's mine in the first place, right? It changes when we understand that God is the one who gives and God is the one who takes away. Um, and, and here's one of the things I understand. That when we hear that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, that sounds like just a trite thing to dismiss pain. That sounds like something some Christians would say instead of actually, it sounds like some Job's friends would say maybe instead of actually comforting him. But, but I want us to, to, to move beyond that. Uh, but here's one of the tough things about hearing the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, especially when, in, when you're in a tough season, is there's some seasons where it feels like you only experience the taking away. It don't always feel like, the Lord's not always just going back and forth, like, let me give some, let me take some, let me give some, let me take some. There's some seasons where it feels like only taking is occurring. You know, to be honest, you know, this is how I felt for, for much of last year, even as my wife and I considered um, how my health was affecting my work. And we've been, you know, we've talked about this. We, we've been in lots of different places trying to figure out the best way to navigate it. And it was a season where, you know, we're just feeling like I, it feels like everything is being taken. Here's a, a dream for how I wanted to glorify Jesus. It feels like that's being snatched. Here's a dream for what I want my marriage to look like. It feels like it's being taken. A dream for how I want this to look. It's being taken. And it feels like only taking is occurring. And that's a tough spot to be. 
you know, to echo what John said, you know, this being here at this church is something that's an answer to years of prayer. And to end up being at a place where it feels like the Lord is taking what felt like an answered prayer is tough. That sometimes it just feels like only taking is occurring. And, and, and I'll say this. The thing that keeps me from uh, crushing discouragement is that the Lord is the one who's doing the giving and the taking. This is what I'm saying. This is not a trite phrase to throw on something. This isn't keep your chin up. Right? This, is, this is real that the Lord is the one giving and taking. It is huge because otherwise it would have felt like the only thing that's doing any taking is my illness or just some other tough thing about the world and it feels like it's out of control. Who knows what it'll take next? But if I know that anything that's taken has to get permission from the sovereign Lord before it can take it, that matters. Right? So this is not for me a thing where, oh, well, you know, the Lord gives and if anything gets taken, you know, maybe God was just looking the other way. That is not comforting to me. That does not make me feel like uh, God doesn't need us to try to absolve him of responsibility. Right? The Lord is sovereign and in control of that. Um, and, and here's, let me just try to flesh that out a little bit more. It's almost like when you try to buy something with your debit card and it gets declined and you feel insulted and you call your bank and you're like, I need to know who did this. Uh, and they're like, oh, you know what? Um, we thought it was a fraudulent charge. So we, we, we flagged it and now you can do it again and you can buy it. And you're like, you thought these Skittles was a fraudulent charge? And they're like, yeah. You normally get Starburst or whatever. Uh, and so, you know, after you get over feeling annoyed, you might feel a little more safe and secure. Uh, because, you, you know, there's no way you could possibly just be looking at your account all day at every charge, ready to see anything that might not be you. But what makes you feel good is you're like, oh, well, there's somebody who's actually watching my money. There's someone who's making sure what comes in and out is the right stuff. Right? It gives you a little security. Well, this is what's happening with God being the one who's sovereign, with God being the one who's giving and taking away, is it may be hard when something is taken away, but it, is, it gives an extreme amount of safety and security to know that there's a God who's watching what's coming in and out. And if something comes into my life or something's taken out of my life, it's because the sovereign, all-wise God thought it should be. There's nobody who gets to sneak in and take things from my life aside of the permission of God. No one gets to sneak in and just take stuff. God is sovereign over that. And when a fraud tries to sneak in, the Lord snuffs them out before they even have a chance to. So if there's something that's been taken from your life, it's because God thought it was for your good and for his glory. And that should give us incredible security. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away is not a trite saying. It is a battle cry. It's a survival song. How else are we to make it through tragedy if not for that truth? The, the secret to faithfully suffering is knowing your place, which includes knowing who God is. The, one of the things that blows me away is that it says Job doesn't blame God for anything, but Job still understands that God is the one who's doing this giving and taking away. Um, and, and I think the, the distinction I'll make, we're not going to get into a real deep conversation about uh, the sovereignty of God over all things, because I can't go.
go two hours on my very last sermon. I want to leave a good taste in your mouth. Uh, but here, here's what I'll say. It's one thing to understand that God allows loss or, you know, that God has a purpose for your loss or he ordained that loss for you. It's another thing to use, you know, God's control over a situation to uh, do some kind of character assassination and say, well, you know, if the Lord allowed that to happen, it must mean the Lord is not loving or the Lord's not really just. So that, that's, the, that's the difference here. And that's the difference between bringing your complaints to God and making your complaints about God, right? You can say to God, this is a really tough situation. The thing that turns that into sin is when you blame God for it and you put his character on trial. You begin to call him unjust. You begin to say you're not really as loving as you are. And Job, now he responds perfectly right here. As you go through the chapters and his friends keep coming at him, and they keep having these conversations. Job himself, I think, slips into a sinful perspective at times. Wondering, like, now, Lord, hold on. You said you were going to punish the wicked. You, when, when is that going to happen? It doesn't seem like it happens. And we can easily get to that place. Uh, the way that we can honestly grieve without sinning is instead of blaming God for our suffering, take your suffering to God. It's the difference between blaming the cops for a robbery or calling the cops to take care of the robbery. You're still reaching out to the cops, but you're saying, I understand you're the one who can help me with this issue. Uh, The Lord has called us to do that. Um, The other thing, the question that I get when I read this passage is right back to back, he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, it's very rare that you hear somebody say, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Usually, we're connecting that to just good things. We can even fall into a pattern of only saying the Lord is good after mentioning something good the Lord has done. Like, man, you know what? I had a little extra something in my paycheck. The Lord is good, isn't he? And that's fine. He is good. And that was a mercy of his. As long as we don't think that he's only good when he's doing something that makes us happy. As long as we don't tie God's goodness to the exact things that we want, right? Because then we're saying that God's goodness, his worthiness ebbs and flows with our happiness, which just isn't true. How could Job say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because he doesn't understand why God is doing this. He asks why throughout the whole book. The Lord actually never even gives him that exact answer why. He doesn't know exactly why. And we often won't know why. But we still have to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. We still want to praise God for his goodness. How can we possibly do that if we don't know why God is doing what he's doing? And here's just the best example of it I could come up with. Stick with me, follow me. You're going to think I'm just going off on a tangent. There's a man named Kanye West. This man uh, recently said some controversial things. um, And it led a lot of people to say, I'm done with Kanye. Which, you know, he said lots of things before, so, uh, you know, I guess this was just the one. And so, but here's what happened. Uh, Because he is a genius, people just really wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. So a lot of people were like, he didn't say that. And then they saw it, they was like, but did he say that? Is that, is that him? Uh, and then I saw this thread. I was laughing at people who were doing that. Then I saw this Twitter thread that was like, what Kanye's doing, this is actually performance art. He's not really. And I was like, man, get out of here. And then, hold on, hold on. 
Then they started pulling up all these random clues and old tweets. They was like, look at this one. He took a picture of this that referred to this performance artist. And then on this day, he wore red shoelaces. This performance artist loved red. And it was going through all this stuff. And after I read through the whole thread, I was like, maybe. <laughs> he might. This might not be it. And here's, but here's the only reason that happened. Because he has such a track record of genius that you can kind of suspend belief for a moment. Like maybe this is another one of those genius moments. It could be such a genius. You never know because of that track record. It's like even though I can't see it, you never know. He might. And here's the thing. With, with God who's given and taken away, we will not always know exactly what he's doing. And, you know, there will be times when you think, I cannot make sense of why a good God would do this. But his track record, though. Right? He's never failed us. He's never broken a promise. He's never been anything but good, which should allow us to say, even though I don't know why, I know he's good, which is why Job can say right after that news and right after he says the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. The worthiness of God cannot in our mind ebb and flow with our own happiness. Right? This is why Job praises him. In the midst of that, I wonder if what Satan says, like, uh, he only fears you because good things are happening. I wonder if that's true of any of us. I wonder if those of us in this room are in this room singing praises to God only because good things are happening in our lives right now. Or just because it's moderately good. Will you still be able to testify to the Lord's goodness when stuff is taken from you? God's worthiness doesn't depend on our situation. And here's one of the things that I think we can learn also is sometimes you have to listen to yourself less and talk to yourself more. Uh, sometimes you have to listen less to those complaints in your mind and you have to be intentional to talk to you. Sometimes you keep saying, blessed be the name of the Lord to remind you that the name of the Lord should be praised. Sometimes I'll come in here and I might not believe with my whole heart what we're singing, but after I sing it 75 times, it starts to sink in. That's part of the good and the goodness of music. The secret to faithful suffering is knowing your place, remembering who we are and remembering who God is. Um, so one of the things that I really appreciate about Job, as I've said that, is, you know, even in a season for me that felt really trying, I can read Job and I see the way he's dealt with it and I can learn a lot from him. But the reality is, as beautiful as it is, that we find people in Scripture who, can, uh, who we can relate to suffering-wise, sometimes it still doesn't feel like enough. You're like, yeah, I know Job understands, and yeah, I know David understands, but does God understand? Right? Does God really understand this suffering? And that's when we should be reminded that God does know that Jesus I don't know if you remember this. He wasn't always a man. He became a man. Jesus, the eternal creator, became creation so that the Son of God, with all honesty and sincerity, could say, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. Jesus was born of a woman like a regular human being, of course, conceived by the Holy Spirit, but then was born. And not only did he die, but, of course, his, all his friends fled him. Uh, and he was abandoned and isolated. Um, so that's how it happened for Jesus. And he did it for us. Jesus had everything, but he gave it all up. Jesus had eternal riches, but he gave them all up. Jesus had the perks of equality with God, but he gave them up. I think it's safe to say that God understands our suffering. 
right? Jesus, the Son of God, had all power, but he put it on pause. Jesus had perfect knowledge, but he put it on pause. Jesus was present in all places at all times, but he put it on pause. I think it's safe to say that Jesus knows a little bit about our suffering. So that when we're at a place where we're wondering, does God really know? God knows. God understands. And that extends to his very life. You know, I would say, well, like us, our life might be taken from us, but that's not quite how it happened with Jesus. Jesus says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I've received this command from my Father. Jesus willingly endured suffering. We have a high priest who can sympathize. Right, so if we ever wonder, is it cruel for God to allow his people to suffer, even if he has some good plans? Isn't it cruel that he would even allow us to go through it? And when we think that, we should remember that God not only would allow us to go through it, but he became a man and went through it himself. He suffered alongside us, suffered the same things we do. And then on top of that, he suffered way greater than any of us ever will and that he suffered in our place. We cannot wonder if God loves us because he lets us suffer because God suffered on our behalf. What kind of king suffers for the subjects? What kind of God suffers for humans? What kind of eternal, immortal being suffers for the mortal? I'll tell you who the God of Scripture, Jesus, the Son of God, and he did it on our behalf. Look, if you are here and you don't know Jesus and you have some picture of a God who couldn't really be bothered with us, I want you to know that is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a God who loves us so much that he became a man and came after us. And then when he came after us, he didn't just sit on a throne. He was lowly. And humble and meek. He was rejected and isolated. He was beaten and broken and murdered on our behalf. Your sins, his death. But like he said, he was able to take his life back up again. Jesus took it back up. Look, if you're here, you don't know Jesus. I want you to know this victorious Jesus who came after you, gave his life, and then took his life up again. Much greater than we would have imagined. You know, the secret to faithful suffering is knowing, uh, remembering who you are, but also remembering who God is, what God has done done on our behalf. Um, You know, those two things could be summed up in one word, humility. It's not just thinking less of yourself. It's understanding who you are, understanding who God is. And when we can remember who we are, then we can say with Paul, you know, we love to say this verse. We never think about what it means. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Paul is like, look, I could be poor. I could be rich. I can be in good times and bad times. And when we know who God is, we know who we are, we can say that with Paul. But we don't have to give our circumstances so much power over our life and our joy. Uh, Because we have a rock-solid God who remains faithful in the midst of all of it. So I'll say this. You know, I don't want you to think, hey, if I know me and I know God, tragedy won't ever catch me off guard. It won't ever hurt. I'm not saying that at all. Tragedy will come. Tragedy will catch you off guard. Tragedy won't keep you. I mean, uh, the truth won't keep you from tragedy, but it will give you the grace and the strength to endure it. So my encouragement is, Prepare, get to know yourself, get to know your God. And let's do the same for one another. So that when tragedy hits, we can be faithful. 
Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. We thank you for your word, and God, we pray as we uh, continue to worship you that Jesus would be lifted up, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.